When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of GC Live Talking Tuesday Nights. He's intern Joe. Yeah. I'm Mike Yuva, and again, it has been insane, Joe. Anyway, we, we were talking about before we hopped on, we're talking about all the baseball stuff because we've been doing all those baseball post post game shows. It has been absolutely incredible. There'll be a time and place. I know you guys had foul balls the show last night. Yeah. Uh, plenty of baseball talk throughout the rest of the week. Tonight, though. We have a lot to get at when it comes to the football. And as we said last week, and as we've been saying these last couple weeks, once you get into the month of June, this has been USC's month under Shane Beamer when it comes to being able to land recruits. Now, the difference this year, like we've mentioned these last couple weeks, USC is so ahead of where they were a year ago. And they're so ahead of where they were two years ago heading into the month of June. Already nine commitments. They had 10. Mike Williams, the offensive lineman uh, for Maryland. He decommitted a couple weeks back. But you still have nine. You still have nine. And that's still good enough for the sixth overall recruiting class as of right now for the class of 2024. Where does South Carolina go, though? Where do they go for this month? Well, We'll talk about some of the things that are going on. We'll talk about the official visits that are going to be coming up. And we'll talk about really what took place last week because there's something that was, it seemed minute, but I wanted to bring it up, Joe, which was seeing Dante Reno in Columbia. I mean, how many times have we said stuff like this? Seeing Dante Reno in Columbia for friggin' less than 18 hours just to be able to come down here and recruit and then turns right back home. And he'll be back down here at the end of the month for an official visit. Of course, he's getting ready for the Elite 11, so he has to go all the way out to L.A. I mean, this guy is freaking going all over the place. Seeing that, though, seeing that, though, just goes to show where USC is at right now when it comes to recruiting and how we've said this, quality over quantity. So, again... Last two last two Junes, it's been big for South Carolina. They've picked up seven commitments in each June these last two years. Uh, Parker Livingstone is the player that I'm talking about. We'll get into that briefly uh, in a minute. But intern Joe, yeah. this is it. We're here. Last Tuesday, yeah. that, was, that was our last May show. We're here in June. We are here in June. Biggest month of recruiting out of the year. Um, like you said, Mike, South Carolina has done really, 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 really well in June. Um, I saw the comment, Dylan Stewart, hopefully the welcome home. Obviously, you hope for that. He's visiting towards the tail end of June. Mike brought up Dante Reno as well. The people's quarterback of the class of 2024 has been dominating um, in recruiting. The recruiting space um, heading out to Elite 11, like Mike said, that's huge for Dante um, and a huge opportunity for him to put on for South Carolina before even getting here. Um, so that's big. And then obviously you have guys like Maggio Bennett who are also visiting. Um, and then Dylan Stewart, like I, I already brought up that comment. He's going to be back. I believe South Carolina is his last official visit. I don't know how, how much you want to lean into that because, I mean, Nick Harbor visited Oregon last. So some it's different for each guy, in my opinion, but I mean, it depends on how much you read into it, but he'll be on campus and I think that'll help. Obviously, Sterling Lucas will be happy to see his guy for sure. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go down the list. We'll get you guys caught up on some of the players on when to expect them to be on campus. Don't want to go too crazy because a lot of that will be behind 
our paywalls on GamecockCentral.com. Chris and Wes do an outstanding job. They stay very, very busy year-round, but especially this time of the year with official visits. And I had a chance to run into Dal Loggins at the baseball game the other night, and he was saying, he's like, you know, things are really picking up for us right now. Things are picking up. Players are coming on campus. And, you know, you, you mentioned a guy like Dal Loggins. Obviously, he's done a tremendous job, and this goes back to as soon as – Beamer and, and company hired him to come here to South Carolina. And you've heard all the positive reviews, especially with recruiting. This is a tremendous opportunity, though, for, yeah, yeah, there'll be guys for the class of 2024, but I'm thinking more so 2025 and even 2026. I mean, it's crazy to say 2026, but having some of those younger players on campus and being able to expose them specifically to Dow Loggins, again, the guys and the rest of the staff, that's huge too. But for Dal to be able to be on campus with them, see them throw the ball around, all that kind of stuff, I think it's important. I think it's important because that at that point, they get their first taste of what it would be like to come to USC. Obviously, speaking about offensive players here. And look, when you're talking about building what USC is hoping to build these next couple of years, you need to really – really get a head start on some of these guys we're talking about 2025 even 26 because that's what they've been able to do since Beamer arrived I mean how many times how many times have we talked about how USC was one of the first schools to offer a player in the class of 2023 or especially in this class 2024 if not the first one of the first if not one of the first one of the first in the SEC and because of that because of that loyalty because of those relationships, those rapports that they've been able to build right from the jump, you hear a lot of these players when they make their commitments share how big that was in their decision to commit to South Carolina. So while we do spend a lot of time talking about the class of 2024, because again, that is the class that we are currently focused on right now, it's those relationships for the future classes, 25, 26 that shouldn't be overlooked because where USC is right now, they don't get to this point and they don't have such a strong start with recruiting. If it wasn't for building these relationships early for the class of 2024 over these last couple of years. Yeah. Mike, I'm glad you brought up Dowell because I remember around his hiring, we talked about how clutch and how timely it was to get him in the building and start talking to recruits before the dead period. Um, you didn't want to hire him during the dead period because then um, you wouldn't really have an offensive coordinator on the recruiting front. So big for Dowell to, you know, be able to talk guys up after he got hired. And then when they get here in the summer, they're able to see kind of his offense and, and what it looks like. So there's a little bit more behind the talk now, um, but I think that's huge. And again, like you said, bringing the underclassmen um, to, I mean, I mean, bringing all these 24s to visit, um, even with guys that aren't committed um, and guys that are that good mix, you got to find a good mix of guys that are committed and who aren't um, and obviously hope to get the flip or, or the commitment out of, um, out of them before uh, the weekend's over. So a couple of things that I wanted to share from this past weekend. And again, you can you can see a lot more on GamecockCentral.com. West did a tremendous job. Uh, the, the story is titled Big Recruiting Weekend Update Sunday morning. Uh, he just posted this the other day, but it shared the guys who are on campus. It shares who were their official visitors, right? Um, I'll, you know, share a little bit of it to give you an idea of uh, what you can expect if you head on over to Gamecock Central. And if you're not a subscriber, take advantage of the offers that we have going right now. I mean, you can sign up today. You can sign up today and you can get a membership for the entire year for half the price. So you can do that today. Sign up for a dollar, get a month. I mean, all these deals that we have going on right now, head on over and take advantage of it because it's not just for football. Right. I mean, baseball, we know what's going on here in Columbia. We know what's going to be taking place in Gainesville this weekend. Colin Taylor, Jack, uh, intern Joe, they've done a tremendous job with their baseball coverage all season. But especially these last couple of weeks, you don't want to miss any of that. Uh, I'll be heading down to Gainesville with Jack. We'll have plenty of behind the scenes coverage for you guys as well. 
and you'll be able to find that all on Gamecock Central. So not just football, but obviously at this time of the year, we're talking about the month of June, certainly an important month for USC football when it comes to recruiting. I like this, though, looking at some of this. Parker Livingstone, and I mentioned him, and I really want to stay focused with him. Uh, he was paired up with Tanner Bailey, West reports. And again, you can see more of who was paired up with who on Gamecock Central. Saw him at the baseball park. Saw him at Founders Park. And what I thought was really neat, I thought was really neat, was seeing how Dante came on down. Dante came down to make sure that he was here so that he could continue to build his rapport with Parker. And if you guys aren't familiar who Parker is, I'll bring up his page that we have for him on on three. Parker's a four-star wide receiver from the state of Texas. And he is someone that South Carolina is going after hard. Uh, Texas right now, according to the RPM, are the front runners you see there on the, on the side with the RPM projections? While Texas has a big lead right now, according to what our experts are being told, we've seen gaps like that change overnight. I mean, I think the biggest thing, especially for Gamecock fans, if anything, if you remember what took place with Nicholas Harbor, that should excite you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the whole Harbor situation, how quickly it turned towards South Carolina's favor. You never really know in recruiting, especially with big boy battles in the SEC. Livingstone is definitely one of them. You're going up against Texas, future SEC team. So I, I, in my eyes, this one counts. Um, LSU, another SEC team. It's it's mostly or it's all SEC teams according to the RPM. South Carolina has an outside shot at Livingstone, but how Dante was recruiting this weekend, they're definitely not out of it. Um, Livingstone, I mean, obviously we saw um, the Cotton Gin and five points lit up for Livingstone. I mean, they're rolling out the red carpet for him, and why not? Um, Four star wide receiver out of Texas, really, really, really good talent. Um, be a nice get for you. And they were they were rolling it out for all these players. I mean, and we, we've said this before, the job that the Cotton Gin does and their relationship with USC, being able to see so many of these players hop on Twitter later and share the marquee, seeing their name up there. You know, we want player X. We want, the, you know, whoever the, the player was, we saw that again from this past weekend. And again, I, I think when you look at the little things, is a player going to commit to South Carolina because they see their name up on a marquee? Certainly not, you know, but it can't hurt, right? I mean, all these little things, they add up. And that's what South Carolina is hoping for. They take care of business on campus. You share how it's not just something where you can make a difference from a program standpoint and everything on campus, when you come to South Carolina, you're part of the entire community. And I think that's why being able to see and hear people when, you, when you're in town. I mean, we've talked about it before with Blake Franks and in, in other commits, especially offensive linemen, that when they come to South Carolina, they're kind of surprised by how so many people know who they are. And I just want to do a quick update. Not an update that South Carolina fans are going to love, but at the same time, too, it's just it's one spot. Um, USC has dropped one spot in the latest team recruiting rankings for the class of 2024. Uh, Michigan is up to six now. Florida five. Clemson slides up to number four, being able to pick up a five-star the other day. So it's Georgia one, and I'll share that screen right now with you guys. But... Just to give you an update on that, I know I said six, but they just dropped down the other day. Georgia one, Ohio State two, Alabama three, Clemson four, Florida five, Michigan six, and South Carolina coming in at seven. But look, you see the quality, and there's nothing wrong with being able to pick up a three-star, right? You look at Notre Dame, you look at Michigan, you look at Georgia, right? They have four three-stars. Nothing wrong with picking up a three-star. 
Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But with what we're seeing from South Carolina, from a quality standpoint, you're noticing that they really have had a lot of success with those four stars. And just those little things, right? Those little things that you hope you want to continue to build off each other, build off of the last couple of years, and you're hoping to be able to land a five-star. They did it last year. Why not do it again this year? Why not be able to land two five-stars this year? So, you know, we have a, a long ways to go. We've said it before that the last couple of years, this is the month that USC has really picked up with recruiting. Even though they're ahead at this point, they're far from being done. They're far from being done. So this is fun just to look at. But, I mean, this thing's going to change tremendously over the next couple months. In Bunch terms of massive, massive prospects still, I mean, yet to go. So that's kind of what to pay attention to as of right now when it comes to where USC stands. Um, hit some questions real quick. Yeah, some, yeah, some questions. Yeah. Big Red asked, will we be top 25 by game one versus UNC? I think in some polls, yes. I think in some polls, yes. I think in some polls, no. And I wouldn't lose sleep over not being ranked. I really wouldn't. In week one, I really wouldn't lose sleep over it. I mean, we've talked about it before. There's a lot of buzz with this team right now. I was actually on a show today, and I was I was talking about this. Comparing this year to last year, from the fan standpoint, I feel like this fan base is more confident than they've been the last two years, certainly in a long time, because the energy, the buzz, the excitement last year at this time, it was there. It's there again this year. There's more of a confidence, though. And when I say that, I'm not saying, okay, people are expecting SEC East titles. I think some people are expecting nine wins, ten wins, and that's fine. That's great. I still think this team is so freaking young, so young, difficult schedule. I think being able to get to, and I haven't put my projections out yet, being able to get back to at least seven wins, eight wins, anything higher than that, that's tremendous. It's about showing consistency this season. So if USC isn't ranked week one, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that when you look at the totality of the team, it's a young team. It's a young team. I think it's so easy to get caught up. Hey, man, they got Spencer Rattler back. Hey, they got Juice Wells back. Well, that's great. That's great. That's only two positions. That's only two positions. So this team as a whole, I still think they're two years away from really making a big splash. Um, honestly, I'd like to see South Carolina go into that game unranked because I think it would kind of piss them off a little bit more than anything. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think rankings going into week one aren't really that big of a deal. Everyone's it's based on last year. I mean, that's what it really is. It's based on last year and projections for this season. That's all it is. And if you know what? I hope North Carolina is ranked. I hope well, North Carolina is yeah. ranked going into that game. And this not, North Carolina no, game yeah. was always going to be the game to decide wherever South Carolina ends up heading into Furman and Georgia. Um, I, so we'll see. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's that big of a difference. But um, going back to Big Red, how far down the line does a good year have in recruiting? Does that affect four to five years out or even longer? Four or five years out or even longer. Um, I think, I think in terms of like where you finish for a class, I don't know how, like, you know, four or five years. I mean, I think that's, that's so far down the line, especially when you're talking about where college football is right now. I think now it's more of a two year impact mm -hmm. with what happens in the now, because you think about where this program was when Shane Beamer took over. And if you ask me that question, you know, how does it impact four or five years? Well, it keeps changing, right, based on year one. And now we're heading into year three. The players at South Carolina are landing right now. You couldn't even dream of doing that a couple of years ago. And I had this conversation with someone the other day. I thought, you, I thought Muschamp and that staff, 
they did a good job of bringing in talented players and they did a good job of developing them. But there was a difference with the success of, of the, the team because you've seen a lot of guys go to the NFL and they're having great careers already. But what Beamer and this staff have been able to do is they've been able to identify talent. They've been able to identify even talent that's a little bit more coming out of high school. And now they're finding players that work well together. And obviously, you know, for the class of 2023, that, you know, only time will tell with that stuff. But I think with what USC needs to do is it's not just about being able to identify that talent for the next couple of years from a high school standpoint. It's being able to identify talent to win now, too, because you have the transfer portal as well. So it's the, the game is changing. The transfer portal makes everything sped up even that much faster than it's been in years past. So I think when it comes to success of the program, the consistency factor with being able to get to, like I said, at least seven wins, at least it shows that you're making progress, that you're not going backwards, right? Will Muschamp's third year after a great second year, you win the Outback Bowl. You lost a lot of talent, but they took a major step back. They took a major step back. So that's what you're trying to avoid, right? I'm not necessarily trying to compare Beamer to Muschamp or anything like that, but that is just the reality of it is now you're heading into year three. Expectations are higher than they've been in quite some time, and that's a good thing. You need to continue to just be consistent, continue to be consistent. It doesn't need to be this huge step forward, right? It's just continuing to make sure that you're heading in the right direction because as we've talked about, there's so many young, talented players on this team. They're really nowhere close to being where they can they can be in the next couple of years. They have talented guys, but this team as a whole, man, I think they're still a couple of years away, two years away. Yeah, absolutely. I agree completely. Lavelle asks, where do we stand with the running back hill? Well, and I'm going to see. We have, because I'm going to be honest with you, with all the ba- with all the baseball stuff going on, I haven't been paying attention to Hill as much. Um, he's been taking a m- multiple official visits are set for the four star back Auburn, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Um, Chad Simmons, who does a tremendous job with us over on on three. This is what he had to say. So quote, I still like where South Carolina sits for Daniel Hill. Big official visits are coming up in June and he has yet to see Auburn, but I like the Gamecocks at the top of his list. Alabama and Tennessee are up there too, but Hill has connected with the staff in Columbia. He sees an opportunity to play early and likes the fit. Alabama is the school he has visited the most and he likes Robert Gillespie. So keep an eye, he says on Alabama as well, but he likes where South Carolina is and it's ironic to say this. It's ironic to say this, but where USC is at right now with so much young talent, seeing more freshmen get opportunities right away, and that's not to say it can't happen. Can't happen. The outliers, right? There's always going to be an outlier or two. Where USC is at, though, and where they're going to be in the next year or two, you're going to see less freshmen start. Because they have so much young talent. Again, you will see outliers. There will always be an outlier or two. Because of South Carolina's young running back room, and obviously you can't project what the running back room is going to look like two years from now, right? You know, but if you're a kid like Hill, you're looking at USC. It's like, all right, let's just look at it a little bit. Okay. Gary and Joyner, he'll be gone. Mario Anderson, he still has one year. We don't know what he's going to look like, though, in the SEC. You'll have Dontavius Braswell, who will have an opportunity, you would expect. We've heard that from Beamer this summer during the Welcome Home Tour. You expect Braswell to get on the field and see some playing time as a true freshman just because of the lack of depth in that running back room. And then Juju McDowell will be a senior next year, the following season. So being able to sell, hey, look, we can give you an opportunity to compete right away and not just compete, but see the field quickly. That's a position when you look across the board, they don't have a lot of spots right now where they can say that. 
I mean, they were always going to say, hey, come in, compete. You know, don't 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 get it misconstrued. But that position in particular. After this season. You have Juju, but you really don't have any proven talent in that room. And even with Juju, as much as I love what Juju brings to the team, he's not going to be a guy, as we've talked about, he's not going to be a guy that's going to carry the ball, you know, 20, 25 plus times. That's just not his style. It's just not. He brings so much to the table when he has the ball out in space. They're going to want to pair him up with someone. And that's just kind of where college football is at right now for the most part. So, I mean, that, I like I like the idea, though, of being able to sell him that intern, Joe. Yeah, I do too. Um, obviously, running back, they need some guys. There's opportunity to play early, I think. And two, knowing how the running back is nowadays, guys don't really have three four, or two, three consecutive like breakout seasons. It's very rare nowadays. So, especially at the running back spot, you need guys, you need depth for a freshman like Daniel Hill. I believe Daniel Hill, right? Yes, I'm going to – I'll bring up because some people might not be as familiar with him. So that's why I wanted to make sure when I was looking up what we were talking about, I just wanted to make sure that I had the the dates right. And he's a a Mississippi guy. He's a Mississippi guy. I mean, right now, the way that it looks – as I pull this up for you guys. Right now, the way that it looks is South Carolina and Alabama. Now, I know instantly when people hear that, they're going to be like, shoot, (laughs) competing against Alabama. But you know what, though? You know what? Because of the lack of depth in South Carolina's running back room, USC is able to sell something to them that Alabama is not not going to be able to. They're just not. Without even looking at Alabama's depth chart, without even looking at what Alabama's running back room will look like in the next couple of years. They bring guys in four stars, five stars every freaking year. And that's not to say, that's not to say Daniel Hill can't go to Alabama and have a great career. But the point being is if playing early is important to him, right? If playing early is important to him and he sees where USC is going from a success standpoint, uh, you heard everything from Chad Simmons saying that he's built great relationships with the coaching staff, um, I'll throw this out there, Monterio Hardesty, for all the for all the flack that he took these last couple months, right, transfers of this and that, he's part of that. He's part of one of those reasons why Daniel Hill's been able to build a quick relationship and a good relationship, I should say, a good relationship quickly with USC staff. Give credit to Monterio Hardesty in there. He might look at this and say, hey, why not? And if you're able to win – a recruiting battle against Alabama for a kid like this, that sends a major, that sends a major message across college football. Major message. I don't care what the circumstances are. I don't care if it's, well, you know, Alabama can't sell the fact that, you know, you can compete as early. No, no, no. It's choosing South Carolina over Alabama. And you see the other schools in the mix, Tennessee, Auburn, but it looks like right now it's a two-team race. I think being able to get I – mean, we talked about with Nicholas Harbor, big boy recruiting battles, big boy recruiting battles. You start piling them up one after another, after another. So again, this one is far from being done, but as you heard from Chad Simmons, he likes where USC stands right now. Yeah, I, I would too. Um, like the, the whole thing for me, like we've been talking about Bama's just has so many different guys. South Carolina is built to have an opportunity to play early. So I think that's huge, um, especially in the case of Daniel Hill. Um, Moving right along from Brandon, does Lenore Sellers have a role this year at quarterback, or do you all think Doty is the second quarterback that will get snaps? I'll let you lead us off, intern Joe. I know we've talked about this the last couple shows, Mm -hmm. or at least to some degree, but I'll let you lead us off. Yeah, I mean, I think – Sellers might have a role in like a goal line situation or a role where you don't want Rattler diving into the pile or, you know, possibly extending his legs to the point where, where he could get knocked out of a game. Um, so that's really the only place I see that. I also think Doty, you, you could use Doty in that situation well, um, as he's been known to take a couple hits here and there. Also, 
pretty mobile. Um, not sure how, I mean, we haven't really seen him after his injury, but, um, you know, I, I would think Sellers might get a chance, but I don't necessarily think he comes in at second in the depth chart right away. If, if he is going to do it, he's going to do it towards the end of the year, but I, I see Doty at two. Yeah, I think Doty will be the number two quarterback heading into fall camp, and I expect him to be the number two quarterback heading into the season. I think the big question is is this. While we can sit here, and I know some people have used the Tim Tebow comparisons with packages, at least. I'm not, I'm not as crazy about it as some people are, and here's why. Unless you know for certain that he will be in a position to eventually earn the number two spot throughout the course of the year, which is possible, which is possible. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll see how things play out, you know, not just in fall camp, but each week, if you feel like he can win out that spot, then you want to find ways to get him on the field. Cause you don't want to burn a red shirt year on a guy that is just coming out there doing a couple packages. And while I do believe in Dow Loggins and how Shane Beamer would use sellers. We've seen it before in the past. I think the, the perfect example of it all is to carry on joiner. You don't want to just throw someone out there for the sake of throwing someone out there. And everyone knows what's going on right now. Of course, sellers brings a lot to the table. We saw that during the spring game and from everything else that we've heard throughout the spring from the coaches to the players, to people that are close to the program. He can throw, he can, he can run, he can do it all. Okay, he can do it all. I also, though, I also, and I would say this about any other quarterback too, freshly as a freshman, do you really want to take Spencer Rattler off the field? You want to be able to keep him on the field as much as possible. Okay, you want to keep him on, on the field as much as possible, especially if you have the belief that he's going to have the success that he will have this season. Now, if you don't believe that, that's a different story. But if you believe that Spencer Rattler is going to come out and he's going to look like the Spencer Rattler that he was in the Tennessee game, that he was especially in the second half of that Clemson game, if you expect that, you want to be able to keep him on the field as much as possible. Now, if USC was, I don't know, a couple years ago, right, before Spencer got here, that changes things. That changes things. That changes how, how quickly do you want to get sellers on the field. So. While I would not be shocked to see USC take advantage of the four-game rule when it comes to still being able to maintain a red shirt, and as we saw last year, and I'm not going to bank on it. It's a possibility, though, but it doesn't change anything in the regular season. You have four games in the regular season. You get that fifth one for the bowl game if the NCAA decides to do that. That's not guaranteed though but that really doesn't impact anything because that would just be tacked on that'd be just an additional one could i see usc using sellers in at least four games this season 1000 percent, i can see him getting in there okay and i'm not just talking about garbage time i'm talking about being used yes the question now becomes though and it depends how usc determines how they want to use them when they want to use them throughout the course of the season is it worth it? Is it in the best interest of not just sellers, but for the program as well? Because starting to look ahead a little bit to next season, the 2024 season, I expect unless Luke Doty loses out the number two job to sellers this year, I expect Doty to be the guy that will have the opportunity to be the starter in 2024. Sellers will have a year under his belt. And he could take a big step forward. He could take a big step forward from freshman to sophomore. I mean, he's been only on campus for a couple friggin' months, for crying out loud. Only had 15 practices, and that includes the spring game. So the growth, the development, that's going to take place once he gets back on campus in August. And I think it's a little premature to say he will, he won't, this and that. About the, class, about the 2024 season. But I think Sellers will have an opportunity to compete for a starting job against Doty. And oh, by the way, and this is no disrespect to Tanner Bailey, but oh, by the way, don't forget, Dante Reno will be coming on campus in January. 
that quarterback room, that quarterback room is going to be as competitive as it's been in a long, long time, in a long, long time. And I think it is tremendous for Reno to be able to have not just Luke Doty still there because you expect Doty to come back because he would have, you know, one more year of eligibility. He's thinking he has a couple of years because of injuries and all that, but you'd still be back for another year and have sellers now with a year under his belt. The competition in that room is going to be absolutely tremendous. But again, my big point in turn, Joe, I just don't want them to use him for the sake of using him. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say this, Gamecock fans, the difference was, and I don't remember exactly what year that was with with Tebow, to bring it up. South Carolina is not going to be competing for a national title right now, okay? They're just not. So there's a difference with how in, in in the rule, too, for an eligibility standpoint, you use a player once back then, redshirt was burnt. Now you can use them at least four times. So I just... I don't hate the idea of finding ways to get him on the field, but do it with a purpose. And you got to start thinking about a plan moving forward. Stone Blanton. Stone left USC without a choice but to put him on the field. I mean, that's something that I had a conversation with Pete Lumbo at the beginning of the season at Media Day. He was doing so much, and he was doing a good job on special teams, but he was doing so good on defense you start where it's okay. Hey, we have to put him out there. Different positions, certainly, much different than quarterback. But if you're going to find ways to be able to impact a team, they'll put you out there. You just you have Rattler out there too. Yeah, absolutely. I love this comment from William Dante's a mobile QB. Absolutely, he can move around. He yeah. can move around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's not slow. That's for nope. sure. Um, Mike, you want to hit our ads? Yeah, let's get after it. We are going to talk about our good friends over at Liberty Tax, Intern Joe. Yeah, Mike, Liberty Tax. Tax hiatus is an uncertain feeling you get right before doing your taxes, but you don't have to go through it alone. Our good friends over at Liberty Tax in Lexington, Irmo, in Columbia will walk you through the process, clear up any confusion, and guarantee you'll get the biggest possible refund or your money back. It's tax time, Mike. If you're in need of help with your taxes, talk to the team at Liberty Tax. They're fast, accurate, and guaranteed. Um, find the, the rest of the ad read. Fast, uh, accurate. On the other hand, if you think you might be on the same, talk to the tax team at Liberty Tax. To make sure you're not paying more than you should owe, they'll find every possible deduction for you locally on an operated staff by tax professionals from your neighborhood. Open 99 on weekdays and 95 on Saturdays with multiple service options. Start the Liberty Tax mobile app or through the desktop portal, make an appointment, or just walk in. Give a call to upload your tax documents. And when you walk in, your return will be ready to review and sign. Give them a call at 803-462-5576. Once again, 803-462-5576. Today's show is also brought to you by our good friend, Clint Hammond of the Movement Mortgage. Clint is a branch manager for Movement Mortgage, and he has been able to help so many people around Columbia and throughout the Midlands. And he's done a tremendous job with being able to help out our own Wes Mitchell, as well as former Gamecock quarterback Perry Orth. And as I've said many, many times, and I don't even need to tell you guys this, buying a home right now, it's not super easy. You're seeing those rates go up. Well, he'll be able to help you out. Clint does a tremendous job of being able to use all his resources to make the process as simple for you as possible, but you're also able to get the best rates as well. Give him a call over at the Movement Mortgage. Again, that number is 803-771-6933. You can see it right above us. That is where you can write that down. All right. What Butch say? Don't pull that evil on us. You Everybody starts zero. Do we got a chance? Till we don't um, look, I'm, I'm excited about the Gamecocks this year. I'm excited about what they can do. And I'm not trying to be the wet blanket in the room, but I also think realistically, and this is where we were last year too. You know, last year there were some people, Oh, 10 wins, 10 wins. Not everybody, 10 wins. Slow down, slow down. I think with this USC team, I want to see that consistency. And I've said this before. I said about last year's team, It's not fair to this team. It's not fair to Beamer and this coaching staff, but it's the reality when I say this is that at least in recent years, recent years, historically, USC, when they're in situations like this going into a season, 
they fall flat on their face. They were able to prove everyone wrong last year that felt like that could be a possibility. And while I didn't think USC would fall flat on their face, in the back of my mind, I'm like, we need to see it. We need to see that consistency. We need to see them take that step forward, right? I mean, we heard so much last year about Demo and even when Connor Shaw was still there, talking about not getting caught up with everything that was being said in the press. Everything that was telling them how great they were after winning that Duke's Mayo Bowl. They came back. They got to work. Obviously, they added some great key pieces. They've been able to add some key pieces this year. We've talked about how we feel like the tight end room is better than it was last year and being able to upgrade at other positions as well. I think with USC, it's about just showing that consistency. And that's why this season, and it's so easy to say it every year, right? Like this year is the most important year. This year is the most important year. This season is massive. Year three, it is massive when it comes to recruiting. It's massive to be able to do everything that they've been doing from a recruiting standpoint, right? In turn, Joe, like, hey, this is what we're planning on doing heading into year two. This is what we're able to do. Boom. And they did it. If USC, and I hate doing the, you know, the popsicle headaches, just throwing out different scenarios that didn't happen. But if South Carolina doesn't win some of these games down the stretch, they lose the Tennessee, they lose the Clemson. I'm not saying that was the main reason why they were able to land Nicholas Harbor. But if, if they don't, win those games, does Nicholas Harbor commit to USC? I don't know. I, I think everything goes together. When you're able to sell a vision to a recruit and you're selling them, hey, this is what we envision the program looking, not just this season, but next season and when you get here. Yeah. When you're able to put all those things together, it makes a big difference. And I think if South Carolina is able to do that, that's my whole point. South Carolina is able to do that this year. You're able to continue to sell that vision, which you truly believe in. They all believe in it. It's not like they're just throwing, you know, stuff up against the wall and hoping that it sticks, but it's being able to make those things happen. There's a difference of us being able to say, hey, this is what we want to do compared to this is what we're going to be able to do. And we did it. Yeah. I think, you know, if you were to give South Carolina a grade in terms of, starting a, a program or kickstarting a program in these early years of the Beamer era, you have to give them a pretty good one, A minus A, um, because of the potential factor um, of everything, right? Like those wins at the end of last year show you the potential of what things can be. And, you know, last year, had you had a complete roster and, and more filled out with like some of the recruits that you were getting, maybe you win more and you start to compete for an SEC championship or at least a, a spot in the SEC championship game. It's all about building. And at South Carolina, you got a little peak of the vision and that's mm -hmm. why recruiting is going so well right now for Shane Beamer and company. Um, so I, that's, that's kind of the way I see it um, in terms of recruiting. Um, but you know why it's the other part of it too, in turn, Joe, the other part of it, that, that's why it's important right now. The next couple of years, the SEC is shaking up, right? We already know Oklahoma's coming. We already know Texas is coming. It looks like divisions are going to be on their way out. You're going to have the top two teams. It's going to be more difficult, not just for South Carolina. It's going to be more difficult for teams to win the SEC. It's going to be more difficult to play in the SEC championship. If you already thought it was tough enough before for South Carolina, it's going to become that much challenging uh, in the next couple of years, never mind the fact of adding in Oklahoma and Texas, two very good programs, very good programs. It's not like they're adding TikTok Tech, you know, in a, in, in a, I was going to throw a local high school team out there. I don't want to, um, like, like Eau Claire High School, you know, shout out to the Shamrocks, but you're not, you're not adding that. You're adding two talented programs. And the fact that you're, going to be getting away from the divisions, it makes it that much more challenging. Well, here's the thing, and I've said this before, and I know you believe this too, intern Joe, mm -hmm. with the playoff expanding to 12 teams in the next couple of years, USC's opportunity to make postseason play is going to go up. They're going to have their opportunity because 
and I'm not saying that they can't be a team that wins the SEC East one day. I mean, excuse me, the SEC, even if the East doesn't exist, or compete for an SEC championship in the in the near future. But being able to be a team that can just make the college football playoff, you need to lay down the foundation right now, right? They've been doing that in terms of being able to get Beamers guys in there, all that stuff. But when you start looking ahead to where college football is going to be in the next couple of years, where this program is from a youth standpoint, by the time all that stuff is implemented with the playoff, if you're able to capitalize on recruiting right now, if you're able to do those little things, like I said, get back to seven wins, get to eight wins, whatever that case may be. If you're able to do that, then you're going to be able to be consistent with recruiting so that when we're sitting here in the year 2025, 2026, we're talking about those things. This is a team that can compete and have an opportunity to do special things when we're talking about the playoff. Yeah, if you can set a high baseline for wins for your program um, and uh, say a seven or eight, you know, have that be the floor. And if you go below that, it is kind of a crisis season, if you will. If you can do that consistently, you're going to start to see the recruits pile in. And then with the recruits, when you start to inch closer to the top, obviously you're going to drag in more transfers. So naturally speaking, you do climb up the ladder of college football echelon, if you will. But mm-hmm. um, So that's kind of where I just wanted to throw that in there, though, intern Joe, because I think it's important to remember why we're harping on all these little things as much as we are about the consistency factor. And because, again, the next couple years, that's where it's really going to be, you know, Beamers guys, all that kind of stuff. And things are obviously going to be changing in college football. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to hit this comment um, from God Loves Comics. How big of a loss was Lavoisier Carroll? I was thinking, or I think he was mostly a speed guy. I was thinking he's mostly a speed guy. I think it was a pretty big loss considering the depth. He was one of those guys that you yeah. went in with, you know, you expected a lot from him, unfortunately, his injuries and, had to step away from football. Unbelievable person. Um, LC, everyone that I've talked to and LC um, have said he's a really, really, really good person um, and wor- worthwhile time being around. So there's that. Mike kind of feel the same way, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, it just – it sucks. It sucks that we didn't get an opportunity to see him get out there. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, say what you will about last year um, at times with the offense, but the reality was he was a guy that was coming in here and – you know, that running back room, even though it took it hit its hits from a from a health standpoint, it still was very crowded. It still was a very crowded running back room. And things played out the way they have heading into this season with the lack of experience. And when I say lack of experience, I include a guy like Mario Anderson because he hasn't had an opportunity to play at this level. That's no fault of his own, but that's just the reality of it. So I say that because not only would he give you experience um, in the sense that he was able to get a year under his belt from practicing here and being more comfortable with everybody, but he's also a guy that has been in college with, you know, obviously was at Georgia beforehand. He's been in college and he understands the expectations heading into his third year of playing college football. I hate how things played out for him. It was never reported what exactly that medical, um, his medical condition is or whatever the injury, whatever the case may be that's preventing him to pull from playing. And I don't think it's necessarily our business to be quite honest with you. I mean, if it's preventing him, it's preventing him. If he wants to talk about it, he can talk about it, but I do love that he's still around the team. And I do think him being there and having a presence will be valuable in some shape, way, or form, opposed to the opposite, which would be him not being there at all. So, in you know, God Love Comics, he, they say it best, sad story. You know, at the end of the day, though, you got to find a way to make this into the, as much of a positive as you can. And being able to have LC there in some capacity Hopefully some of these younger guys in particular, you think about the, you know, Dontavious Braswell, even a guy like Mario Anderson, right? You're hoping these guys can start to learn from him a little bit. They'll learn from to carry on Joyner, but it will take a little bit off his plate. You know, he can just focus on what he has to do. So yeah, just hate it for Elsie. 
Yeah. Big Red asks, would success for a baseball team have any effect on football recruits, maybe a dual sport athlete like Harbor? My take on this, yeah, obviously I think it helped a little bit um, in terms of like the Dante recruiting at, at baseball games because um, you can uh, – the, the pitch with that is like this is only a fraction of what you get over there in the biggest stadium. Um, so I, I guess in that way, dual sport, maybe a linebacker like Stone Blanton. But. Yeah. No, I mean, it's put it this way. It can never hurt. It can never hurt. I mean, and I hate and I hate to say this about men's basketball, but I mean, you'd see, you'd see some of these teams bringing them to women's basketball games just because they knew the crowds were going to be better, yeah. right? And they're they're trying to obviously the men's team's going through some things, and that's not a shot against them right now. That's just the reality of it. But I mean, I, I've seen players and I've heard of stories of players being from, from football. I mean, they bring the whole team, but. I've seen players go to women's basketball games because they just wanted to show them that environment. And I bring up women's basketball just because obviously for a player that's coming here for football, it's not going to have any impact in terms of even if they're a dual sport athlete. So from a dual sport standpoint, 1000%. But I just think being able to see the energy, see the excitement in the, in the city is always a good thing. And that's why being able to see some of the recruits that were over at the ballpark the other night, they're able to get a taste of it. They understand from a football standpoint. They understand, uh, I think a lot of them understand, at least to a degree, the passion in this city when it comes to football and how it's on a totally different level. And that's no disrespect to any of the other sports. That's just the reality of it. It doesn't matter what happens in this city. It's always going to be a football town first. That's just the reality of it. We're in the we're in the southeast. I mean, that's just what it is. If football were to win a conference title, if football were to win a national championship, uh, the city might burn down. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So, I say that because you're able to see the excitement. You've seen it in other sports. You've seen it with women's basketball. You've seen it with um, baseball. Obviously, it was over a decade ago being able to win those college world series, but you're seeing the excitement right now. I think back a couple of years ago when South Carolina made it to the final four for men's basketball, when you see those things, it can never hurt. But um, I, I think it's neat. I think it's neat when you're able to see coaches, like I said, Dow Loggins, Luke day was there the other night. I know Shane Beamer and his wife, Emily, they came to the game on Saturday. So look, it's, it's cool to see other coaches go out there. I mean, I know that um, Greg Atkins has talked about how much he loves going to the baseball games. So I, I say that because not only are these coaches enjoying seeing success from other coaches and they build relationships with, and they just like other sports too, but you can kind of use that in recruiting and point to be like, Hey, do you see what happened with baseball? Hey, not sure if you're much of a baseball guy, but Hey, you know, you see what's going on over there. So that's what my take is on that. Yeah, I like it. Big Red asks, maybe offensive and defensive linemen play freshmen immediately. I think it, it just kind of depends on the like how the roster looks, different schools, different spots. Yeah, we've talked about it from an offensive standpoint with the domino effect that could be playing out with musical cheers for the first couple weeks because of injuries with Jalen Nichols. Could that lead to an opportunity for a guy like Marquis Anderson to get out there, right? Um, or Louis and Bubalade on the offensive line. I could see that happening. Defensive line play, I really like I really like Desmond uh Umiozulu. I really, really like what he's been able to do. And similar to how we've talked about running back, even though there is some senior and upperclassman experience at edge and defensive end, and they have had injuries over the last couple of years at that position. So there's a lot of question marks when it comes to edge. I could see uh, Umio Zulu, though, getting an opportunity to see some playing time this year, though. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. Um, this is kind of a fun one from Giles. Muschamp said his opening PC that he could sell ice to Eskimos when describing his recruiting. What phrase would you best describe Beamer's recruiting? What you see is what you get. Yeah. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, 
I've gone through, and I don't know how much I've shared here, and I don't like, you know, because I know people don't really give it to the end of the day, give a crap about someone's recruiting story from a D2 standpoint. But you go to these different colleges. I remember during my visits, and, you know, you have different things, whether it be, uh, you know, coaches telling you this, that, promising you laptops, whatever the case may be. So I say that because you can read BS. I could read BS back during that time period. That was over 10 years ago. You can read BS now more than ever, okay? And I'll say this about Mushroom, and I said it before. I really think he sold the vision of being able to play at the next level, and I thought he was really good at it. And I don't think he was bullshitting people when he recruited players like that because the proof is in the pudding with how many guys are in the NFL. And while some of them also worked with Beamer's staff, and I'm not taking anything away from Beamer, he also was able to identify guys like Jalen Brooks, who got drafted by the Cowboys, right? You look at some of these players who came in here um, that Muschamp identified. So I say that because I think he was he was good in that regard. I think Beamer, though, he sells that vision, but he also sells it not just from a business standpoint. He sells it from a, hey, if you come to South Carolina, we'll help get you there. You know, we have, you know, the coaching staff between NFL coaching experience or guys that have played in the league or have had opportunities to play in the league. We will get you ready for that. But when you come to South Carolina, it's about South Carolina. It's about this team. It's about being able to get this program heading in the right direction. So I think being authentic and seeing that up front, that's why we've seen the type of recruiting and the type of players and the type of people that are coming to this program, right? We keep mentioning Reno, uh, Pop Howard. You think of Stone Bland and even you think of just these guys that are building relationships with other players when it comes to recruiting. I mentioned Blake Franks a couple of weeks ago, the job that he's done from a recruiting standpoint and helping other players um, during the process and saying, hey, this is why you should come to USC. So I think if you can just be yourself, players will recognize that. And that ultimately, that ultimately prevailed with being able to land Nicholas Harbor. Because that was kind of one of Beamer's last pitches to him. It's like, hey, you can go somewhere else, but at the end of the day, when you go back to your dorm room at night, it's just you. And if you're happy here, you're happy with these coaches here, and that's the God's honest truth. You're not At that point, Beamer's not selling any BS. It's just like, hey, you know what you got here. I don't need to go on this, you know, elevator salesman pitch at this point. So I, I think that's what I'd call it. I don't know how we, what you'd call it in turn, Joe. No, I mean, I agree. I think what you see is what you get is probably what Shane would call it. So it's funny that you said that. I, I'm sure he, and I think he has described it like that. Um, SEC media days, I believe last year um, is when he said that, or at least in some presser he has, but good, good on you, Mike, for, for getting that on the, on the, on the nose. Um, hey, coach's yeah, son here, you know, it happens. Yeah. We get one good one every once in a while. Going to Lavelle, was wondering, is Mo Cobb back from injury? He will be for summer, right? Yeah, so he really didn't do – he really wasn't as involved. I mean, he was out there a little bit, but nothing to a point where he was, you know, cleared, which is why Stone Blanton had a lot of opportunities and he was working with the ones on defense. And another reason why I think Stone's going to have a great opportunity – to see a lot of playing time. He's one of the players that I picked recently for players to watch this season. And I think he's going to have a big, big role. But, um, yeah, Mokaba, hoping that he can be back and, and be as much of himself as he can be because when he is healthy, when he is on the field, he is a difference maker. And even when he's not on the field, he's a tremendous leader. We've heard that from Bland. We've heard that from the coaching staff. He is someone that, when we're talking about before players that you know have gone to the NFL, part of the the old regime, if you will, these guys truly look out for the younger guys, and I think that's a big, big part of why South Carolina has had success in such a short period of time since Beamer and the staff took over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next one from Lavelle: What position will Harbor play? Do you think I think he's going to play tight end, wide receiver, anywhere Dowell wants him to play? Um, yeah. Yeah, wide receiver. I think wide receiver, we've, we've talked about it these last couple of weeks where it's kind of in the world's worst kept secret. 
where he came in as a tight end, recruited as a tight end, but because of his speed and just his playmaking ability, on top of the fact that South Carolina's tight end room is so deep right now, I would expect Harbor to mainly be working with wide receivers. I hope they don't get into a situation where he's going back and forth. And I'm not saying that because you said tight end as well, intern Joe, and I think you would agree with me on this. I think back to EJ Jenkins and I really, and and again, I I don't know. I don't know the full story. I know, you know, some of it that wasn't out there. I think you really do a disservice to a kid when you're kind of hopping them around. We've seen that happen with the carry on joiner to a degree um, before Beamer got in here was hopping around this position, that position. So even though you look at those two positions and yeah, you know, there could be some things that he's being asked to do in the slot that a tight end would do. I still think though, you make it as easy for him as possible. You allow his natural playmaking ability to come out because if, if you, if you put him in tight and he has to learn additional things, not saying he's not capable of doing it, but the additional blocking and all that kind of stuff that comes with being a tight end. I think you're just putting more in his plate, especially as a freshman especially as a freshman, he's the type of guy that can go out there and make a difference. Just find a way to get him the ball, line him up, make it as simple for him as possible. So I think wide receiver will be, especially with the fact that track is going to be so important to him, will help preserve his body a little bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last question coming from Michael. Hey, y'all, any reason why we've shifted away from recruiting the state of North Carolina and Metro ATL? Mm -hmm. Is that because of success at UNC and UGA? We don't recruit like we used to in the past. I think South Carolina is just, you know, every coach is going to have a different philosophy for where they want to build their pipelines. And that's not to say that South Carolina can't have success in Atlanta. I mean, they've been recruiting around the Atlanta area, whether it be Marietta. Um, you know, you, you're looking at being able to bring a guy in like Dontavious Braswell, who's not too far from there. So, you know, look, I understand that. But at the same time, too, we could sit here and say, well, South Carolina didn't have success with the DMV area um, during the Muschamp era, right? And you can go back to when Steve Spurrier was here. Where do they go after heavily? They went after Florida heavily, which Beamer did a tremendous job in Florida, if you remember, a year ago. I mean, it seemed like there was a different player from Florida popping up every freaking day for crying out loud, especially from the months of June through August. So I bring that up because every coach will have their philosophy um, of how they want to attack certain areas and pipelines. I think with what we've seen since Beamer has got here is that he has his two main areas outside of obviously South Carolina being able to keep that fence up when it comes to keeping the talent in state, which I think that should be something that's not overlooked. Uh, I think he's done a tremendous job. DMV area, they've done an outstanding job since Beamer has got here. They've done a really good job with going after Florida. In the state, they've really been able to stretch it, though, right? Going into the Greenville area, being able to take guys who even Clemson has wanted. And I think that reach is going to continue to expand into the state of North Carolina. So if you're looking for more North Carolina players, I think it will happen over time. I think that they just have a plan right now, and they've been executing it to a T. We were talking about it before. South Carolina is ranked right now number seventh when it comes to recruiting for the class of 2024. So what they're doing right now, it's working. It's working. So, you know, the old like the old saying, why fix it if it's not broken? So I think they're going to continue to attack it this way. But over time, and this is what's happened to schools like Ohio State, Clemson. I'll I'll use more so Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia because it's in the same region. You get to a point, though, where when you get to a level like that, you can recruit wherever the hell you want on a national scale. That's obviously what South Carolina is aspiring to, to be and aspiring to get to that point. But right now, yeah, continue to focus on what's working with you and building those pipelines because, as we've seen before, being after to go after the DMV area, the success they had last year, that also helps with being able to land a guy like Nicholas Harbor because there's a couple guys down here already who have connections to the DMV. And, you know, that, that, that helps. There's no question about that. Yeah, absolutely. 
Pretty easy one from from Big Red to close. Is Dante Reno the best recruiter that hasn't been enrolled yet? Yeah, by my standards, I'd say so. The people's quarterback of the, the class of 2024. Yeah, and, and look, the other part of it too is is the fact that he is the son of a head coach, and not just any head coach, but he's the head coach of Yale. He gets it. He understands these things. He is a little bit older for his grade as well. He is a guy that is not dumb when it comes. And, you know, I see Pup Howard is already there, yes. Uh, But as far as, I mean, and just what Dante's doing right now, and that's not to say that other players mentioned Pup, and that's not to say other players, even like Blake Franks, these guys aren't doing it or haven't already done it. But Dante's doing it on a totally different level. I mean, think about that. Think about this. He came down last weekend for less than 18 hours, 18 hours to recruit a wide receiver, turns right back and flies up to Connecticut. Now, you know, obviously being the son of a Yale coach, I'm sure they have, you know, some good flyer miles at this point. I mean, it seems like he's down in South Carolina every couple of weeks now, but he understands the importance of that. And being down here, that was very important for South Carolina. So, obviously, we'll see how that plays out with Parker. But, yeah, I I think what Reno's doing, obviously, it's making an impact. But kind of like we've talked about from a recruiting standpoint, with these coaches going into certain areas and pipelines, it's strategic. He understands it because he's not just a player. He's the son of a coach who understands what recruiting's all about. In Tony Reno. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else in turn, Joe? Want to hit on before we wrap up? That is it on terms of the football front. Obviously, we'll be live for everything for this regional in Gainesville baseball-wise. Should be a whole lot of fun this weekend. And then, obviously, foul balls the following Monday. Colin Taylor said – that if South Carolina proves him wrong in his prediction, that we, we will get to design the wheel of punishments. Um, What's the uh, prediction? Remind people that that don't know what you're talking about. So Colin Taylor last night on GC Live foul balls predicted that Florida would win the series in three games. And then he mentioned that we will do a punishment wheel on his show on over on 107.5 The Game um, if South Carolina – decides to turn everything around and, and, and beat Florida in this super. So it should be fun. Go give the episode a watch. Should have clips coming out shortly. Um, so stay tuned for those as well. And if you missed this show, you can go back, head on over to the Gamecock Central YouTube page and watch this show in its entirety. Or if you're a podcast listener, head on over to the Gamecock Central podcast platform where you can also find other shows, including this past weekend shows from the GC Live post game, we had uh, recapping baseball as well as everything that takes place over on 107.5 The Game with the Garnet Trust Hour, as well as the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Today on the Garnet Trust Hour, and Jeremy Smith, who's been doing a tremendous job of running Garnet Trust, here's some of the things that he's been up to, as well as kind of educating people a little bit more on what's going on on Garnet Trust uh, and just the importance of NIL. I mean, I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with what's going on out there. There's a lot of, uh, you know, movement going on. They're trying to do stuff in the nation's capital with all this. But the bottom line is this, NIL, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And regardless of your opinions on it, it's important. And if you want to continue to help your program, you're going to have to find ways to, uh, to educate yourself and get involved with it because if you don't do it here, I can promise you, LSU, Texas, wherever, Alabama, Georgia, they're going to be doing it. Their fans are going to be doing it. So it doesn't take too much, too. It doesn't take too much. You could just, you know, for a cup of coffee, uh, whatever the, whatever the heck you want to donate to it. He's intern Joe. I'm Mike We Appreciate you guys listening into the show tonight. Friday night, we'll catch you on the GC Live post-game show down in Gainesville, Florida. Have yourself a great week and enjoy the game this weekend.